on. God's already been in the house. We've already seen and experienced his presence, had a time of communion. How great can that? Man, it's, it's hard sometimes because sometimes after worship, I'm like, come on now. Like, that was so good. And I love that last song, just the idea of speaking the name of Jesus. And I know some of you right now, maybe you've encountered some hard times. Maybe there's some difficulties. Maybe even right now, some of you are watching from home because there's just been some things that you have been struggling in or maybe just have kept you from groups of people. And I just want to say, it's okay and that God is with you. And there is something that happens when we gather together in the house of the Lord, right? There's something that happens when we worship, when we find ourselves in these moments. And uh, I'm so thankful for God's word. I'm so thankful for how God's word changes me. Come on, how many of you know that? Like when you, when you read the book, when you read the book, it can change you. But like any change, you and I have to allow the change to take place. There's a lot of us that could grow in knowledge and not actually grow in application. And God wants us to grow in both, knowledge and application. He wants us to apply his word into our lives. And I I can tell you this, I've had the privilege of preaching since I was 16 years old. Now, if you just do a little bit of math, that's 28 years of me dividing God's word, of, of reading God's word. And I was talking with Jesse uh, after the first gathering, and he was just like, man, you know, God's word just changes me. He's like, Pastor Brian, you were up there preaching and, and just, you know, going. He goes, and the Lord was just reminding me of all these other passages of scripture. And I was like, that's why the Bible talks about I have hidden God's word in my heart that I might not sin against him. Because what, what the Holy Spirit is so good at doing is bringing up things that we have been chewing on, things we've been digesting, things we've been reading in the Word of God, and he brings those things to remembrance. You see, every week as I'm spending time and and working on the message and preparing, it's in those moments where God's continuing to do something in me. He's changing me. Every day when I spend time in his Word and soaping, guess what he's doing? He's changing me. That's what happens when you spend time in God's Word. I was talking with Pastor Matt Vandersteen this week, and we were just talking about soaping, and he had gotten on with me a few weeks back, and on a Tuesday, and morning on Facebook, and we were just talking about the Word, and he said, you know, I've been to so many churches, and they have, you know, these discipleship models, and that's great, but he's like, there's something like just soaping, just spending time in God's Word is discipleship, right? Because every time we engage in God's Word, it changes us. Look at your neighbor and say, it changes us. It really does. And you might say, well, how, how can this ancient text that was written, you know, so many years ago by over 40 different authors, how, how can that ancient text change me? It's because God's word is alive. It's powerful. In fact, I love how the writer in Hebrews puts it in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says, for the word of God is alive. Look at your neighbor and say alive. It's powerful. Look at your neighbor and say powerful. powerful. Now just, just to help you understand this idea of power, I want you to look at your neighbor and do it this way though. And you got you to do the motion, okay? Put your arms like this, you know, get them strong. And then just be like, powerful. Come on. Look at your neighbor. Come on. Come on. Don't just laugh. Look at your neighbor. Powerful. Powerful. Come on. Right? Because God's word is powerful. 
And I want you to think about that. When you, every day when you're digging into God's word, just be like, you know what, today, powerful. Like, I'm going to get powerful because I'm digging into God's word. Because it's alive and it's powerful. Now, if it's powerful, that means it has the ability to change your life. Because it's powerful. And what makes it powerful is it's alive. Because I don't know about you, but there have been times where I've read one scripture and then months later read that same exact scripture. But what the Lord spoke to me in this moment and now this moment are very, very different. Now, is it that God's word changed? No. It's that it's alive. And because it's alive, it's powerful. And in that moment, it has the power and the ability to change my life. Look at your neighbor and say, change my life. Now, what's interesting, though, is we can read that passage right there, and it says this, though. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Now, that's a sharp sword. But what does it do? It cuts between the soul and the spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Now, that right there may be part of the challenge of why we don't like digging into God's word as much. Because why? It exposes the thoughts in the heart of you and me. And let's be honest, some of us don't want our thoughts to be known. Don't want to see your ugly. And there is truth that there is some ugly in there. But that's the beauty of God's word is that God's word exposes the ugly so we can deal with it. Mold grows in dark places. Sin grows in dark places. What God's always trying to do is bring sin to light so what? We can deal with it. There's some stinky areas in your life that need to be dealt with. Listen, when you gave your life to Jesus, you were forgiven. But guess what did not change? Some of those stinky habits. Come on. Some of us still smell like the early days. And what God's word does is God's word exposes that to us. And that's why it's so important to spend time in his word. But the writer in Hebrews continues in verse 13. It says this, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Now that's good news. Because if the things that we think we can hide, we think they stay hidden, just remember they don't. The things that you and I do in secret are known by the Lord. Yes, I know it just may be you and that person or you and that internet browser or you and their thoughts. But what you do in secret... The Lord knows. And we've been talking a lot in this series in Wise Up about Proverbs and about the idea that all wisdom flows from a foundation, a starting place of the fear of the Lord. Now, there are healthy fears. And one of the fears we should have is that we would actually disappoint the Lord. That those things we do in hidden, the hidden secrets, the sins that no one else maybe even knows about. And on the outside, we look great. But on the inside, there may be some issues that need to be dealt with. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. Now, when you just think about nakedness for a second, 
We all got clothes on. Praise God, right? Come on now, anyone? Praise God, we all got clothes on. No one came in today naked. Because if you came in naked, we would be like, whoa, whoa, put some clothes on. And the word of God actually says here, everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. So it don't matter how much you dress it up. He still sees right through it. He's got x-ray vision. Sees right through all of it. He's the one to whom we are accountable. Now what's interesting about this thought is, is that if nothing's hidden from the Lord, that would mean that there's no way to hide it. And if there's no way to hide it, then why even do it? Why even allow the hidden areas to even be there? And I would say this, that's why we look back to his word and we say, okay, God's word is powerful, powerful, and alive, and has the ability to expose the innermost parts of my being, and I'm going to continue to spend time in his word because it is alive and it's powerful. Throughout Proverbs, we've seen a lot of contrasts. In fact, if you've been soaping along with us, we're in Proverbs chapter 22 today. And uh, we're actually going to look at one verse from Proverbs 22, and it's going to be what the whole message is going to be based on. But throughout the book of Proverbs, we've seen these contrasts, the contrast between good and evil. We've seen how when we do these good things, there's blessings and things that are attached to it. When we do these bad things, there's actually curses and things that we don't want in our lives. And we see this contrast, good and evil, and there's always these comparisons throughout Proverbs. Wisdom is this way. Foolishness is this way. You know, like goodness is this way. Unkindness this is this way. We see these contrasts throughout. And uh, Josiah and I um, took a dad Sunday where we were just going to hang out. And we went and I was like, you know what, let's go watch a movie and we'll grab something to eat. And so I was looking and I found this movie called The Bad Guys. Now, before you judge me, it is a cartoon movie uh, called The Bad Guys. And, and I started reading the reviews on it. I was like, oh, you know what? This actually looks pretty interesting. I'm, I'm a kid at heart. I love animated films. I actually still enjoy watching them as an adult today. And so I was like, Josiah, let's go watch The Bad Guys. And he's like, Dad, I'm not going to go watch The Bad Guys. And I'm like, oh, it's going to be really good. I think it'll be fun. Come on. He's like, no, Dad, we should watch something else. Well, there's nothing else to watch. Let's just do it. Come on. It'll be fun. And we were the youngest, or not the youngest. We were the, probably the oldest in the movie theater. There was a bunch of moms, but they all had like their kids, you know, with them. One guy sitting next to us was like, can you guys move over? You know, I got an extra kid. And we're like, yeah, that's fine. And so Josiah and I moved one seat over because he needed a seat next to his kid. And it was just like the whole movie theater was full of kids. And guess what kids do the entire movie? They talk. But it was awesome to hear all their laughs and the different things because there was all these characters. There was the bad guy, Mr. Wolf. There was uh, Mr. Piranha. There was Mr. Shark. There was uh, Miss Tarantula. And I'm trying to think, what was the other one? The other one was, oh, Mr. Snake. And um, all these characters that in kids' books and things were always the bad guys, right? Like, you didn't normally see Mrs. Sheep be the bad guy. She wasn't normally the bad guy. She was normally the one who, you know, was the good guy. And so here you see the bad guys, and the whole premise of the movie was this, is that the bad guys got caught doing something bad, and the leader of the pack, Mr. Wolf, thought, and I'm not going to try to give away too much of the movie, but basically, Mr. Wolf thought, if we pretend to be good, 
then what will happen is, is we'll actually be bad because we're pretending to be good. And there's this whole thing that unfolds and it's super cute and it's, it's actually a really good theme. And in the process, what you find out is Mr. Wolf actually likes being good. Now you may say, well, why are you bringing that up to us here today? One, because it was a really cool movie. But two, because I think it speaks to something that's inside of each and every one of us. Each and every one of us. And that is good. No matter how many times someone tries to be the bad guy, no matter how many people around you you think are the bad guys, people who don't vote like you, act like you, dress like you, think like you, are confused in life, whatever it may be, they're not the bad guys. Why? Because every one of us was created in the image of God. And if we were created in the image of God, that means his goodness is inside of all of us. But we can choose to say no to the goodness of God, but it doesn't change the fact that the goodness of God is still there. Now, sin comes in and messes it all up, right? From the very beginning. I mean, there was once a point in time where Adam and Eve were walking around naked, frolicking through everything, no, no, no worries about anything. But all of a sudden, sin enters the world through the disobedience of Adam and Eve when they eat from the fruit in the garden where they were told not to eat. Sin enters the world, and all of a sudden, they realize that they're naked. They're exposed. Because sin exposes us and sin ruins the way God desired relationship with us where there would be nothing between us and him and now all of a sudden there's this thing sin between us and the Lord and I've been thinking a lot about those things and as I was reading through Proverbs 17, chapter 17 through 22, which is, or 23 actually, and reading through those chapters, there was this theme that just jumped out at me, and it was the theme of humility. In fact, look at your neighbor and say humility. Now humility, we all have different ideas as to what humility is. And in fact, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Proverbs 22. Verse 4, the Word of God tells us this, that the reward for humility, so there's a reward attached to humility, and the fear of the Lord. Okay, so humility and the fear of the Lord go hand in hand together. Now remember, we've been talking about the fear of the Lord. It's this idea of being in awe of who he is. It's the reverence we show to him. It's, it's submitting to his authority in our lives. We, we have this fear of the Lord, and it's a healthy fear. It's not a negative fear. It's a healthy fear. And it says, the reward for your humility and the fear of the Lord is riches. Look at your neighbor and say riches. Honor, say honor, and life. Now, some translations say long life. Now, I don't know about you, but I have not met too many people that don't want long life, don't want honor, and don't want riches. In fact, our culture is enamored by riches, we look at people and we say that person's successful many times based upon the money that they have, the riches they've experienced. If I was to say the name Bill Gates, you would say, oh, Bill Gates. Oh, yeah, he is very famous because he has multiple riches. Now, the interesting thing about Bill Gates is, is he at least did something to get that famousness. Steve Jobs, like he helped Apple and all these different things and transformed it. And so you look at them, you say, man, those people are famous. But then you think about people who are famous in the eyes of the world, like the Kardashians. 
And you're like, what did the Kardashians do to bring about fame? They're famous because they're what? Famous. They're just famous because they're famous. They're famous because they're famous. And so because they're famous, they've been able to, you know, start different, you know, things and businesses and people buy their stuff because someone famous designed this. And oh, that's fantastic. And but what truly brings about riches in our lives? What is it that truly brings about riches in the lives of you and me? Is it by being famous in the eyes of the world? It's not. In fact, if you were to go online right now and just put most famous YouTuber online in Google, there, you, there would be this guy who would come up and uh, I would suggest don't watch any of his videos because I watched just one and it was just filled not only with profanity but just perverted and just horrible. I was like, oh my goodness. This guy right here is the most popular YouTuber in all the world from Sweden and he talks like that, he thinks like that and people like that. Help us, Lord. Because that's what the world defines as famous and rich. But God's definition is very different. His definition is based upon humility and the fear of the Lord. Now, humility by definition, the Webster Dictionary tells us this. It's freedom from pride or arrogance, the quality or state of being humble. So true humility is when we actually fear the Lord, when we're in all of who he is, when we recognize that everything we have comes from him. He's our source. He's our provider. Without Christ, guess what? We're in a lot of trouble. Because none of us is without sin. None of us is good enough. I mean, I know you can try. You can really, really try. How, how many of you, okay, how many just, you don't have to raise your hand, but just real quickly, like, here's a thought. How many of you have been like, you know what, this week, I'm not going to sin. And you're like, like, you're like, this week, I'm just, I'm not going to sin. I'm going to do my, I'm going to do my really, really best to not sin this week. And all of a sudden, someone comes into your life who makes you want to sin. You know what I'm talking about? They cut you off. They say something about you. They uh, lie about you. They do something. And you're like, ooh, and you're trying not to sin, but then you're like, mm, I got sinful thoughts running through my mind right now of what I want to do to that person. You're not very happy with that person. You know what I'm talking about? I told you not to raise your hand, but, but seriously, like, we all get in those spots where, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to be good enough myself. Pastor Bryce, it's okay. You don't have to leave. You're, you're good enough. I promise. I'm just joking. No, but seriously, like we, we struggle with this idea, right? We struggle with this idea of like, I, I, I just, I got to be good enough. And yet you and I can never be good enough. Matthew chapter 11, verse 29 says this, and this is Jesus speaking. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. What Jesus is saying is my standard is very different. My standard, you will find rest when you actually find it in me. Not because you were good enough. Not because you went to church enough. You, you gave enough. You helped enough people. It's not based on any of those things. It's actually based upon him. Jesus is the ultimate example of true humility. Think about when he washed the disciples' feet. Just that simple act was the act of a servant. He was humbling himself before those who respected him highly. 
And what Jesus did is he relied and followed God's plan for mankind, even knowing that it would take him to the cross. In the Garden of Gethsemane, we see Jesus right before the crucifixion, right before these moments that are going to unfold, the ultimate pain that he would experience. And what is he saying in the garden? He's like, if this is not your will, if this, if this is not the plan, may this cup pass from me. Because he knows what he's getting ready to experience. But with true humility, he submits to the plan of the Father. And he models for us. Proverbs 3, 5, a passage of scripture that probably many of us remember. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. For so many of us, we tend to lean on our own understanding when it comes to situations. But humbleness is one who says, this isn't about my understanding. It's about me relying upon the Lord, trusting in what he has asked us to do. To be humble, we must have faith that God will lead us in the best way to live and how to actually avoid temptation. We should lean on the Lord for understanding, for wisdom and guidance. And we see that all throughout the scriptures and all throughout the book of Proverbs. We've got to let go of our I can do it myself attitude. You know what I'm talking about? The I don't need nobody's help. I can do it on my own. I don't even need the church. I can do it on myself. But we need each other. Look at your neighbor and say, I need you. We all do. We all need each other. Not one of us can do this alone. Not one of us can on ourselves, like, we need the encouragement. Because sometimes, guess what? I don't, I don't always feel like doing what's right. And the people I hang around with are going to determine whether I do what's right or whether I do what's wrong. If I'm hanging around people who are like, dude, just come, party, do what you're going to do, guess what? Eventually, I become like those I hang around now, that doesn't mean that we just say to the world around us, well, you know, you're over there and I'm over here. No, we still need to be light in the midst of the darkness. But the people I want to hang around with the most are people who are going to encourage me and lift me up. People who are going to say, hey, you know what? Fight for your marriage. Press through those moments. Everyone always looks at other people's lives and we all think, man, if I only had their life, life would be so much better. And guess what? <laughs> it wouldn't. Because there's one common denominator in all of those scenarios. And guess what? It's you. And you and I are broken people. But Jesus. Look at your neighbor and say, but Jesus. Now there's different translations of, of uh, this verse here. Proverbs 18, 12 in the NIV says, Before a downfall, the heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. It's talking about humility, and it comes before honor. Uh, the Good News translation says, no one is respected unless he is humble. Arrogant people are on the way to ruin. The ESV says, before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. See, no one wants to fail or be destroyed, yet the scripture is very clear that failure happens when one is prideful or haughty. Now think about haughty for a moment. By definition, it's this. It's blatantly and dis, disfain, dis, disdainfully, excuse me, proud, having or showing an attitude of superiority, I can't read right now, and contempt for people or things perceived to be inferior. 
Now, as I was processing through this and I read that definition, I just, unfortunately, my heart was a little grieved because through the years I've seen the church as a whole at times show an attitude of superiority and contempt for the people who are around them that they perceive to be inferior. And if we do that, by mere definition, it means we're dealing with haughtiness. See, we're not to look down on others to say that we're better than other people that are around us. We're actually to love them. Think about Satan and a third of the angels fell because they thought they knew better than God. Because they thought they knew how to do it better than God. It showed their heart and how they they thought in this moment they allowed pride to enter in and that pride then separated them from God. So, So three signs that you may be dealing with pride. These are great things to write down. You can put them in your phone. You can write them down on one of the note cards in the seat or something. But three things, three signs that you may be dealing with pride. Here's here's number one. You take everything personally. Here's what I mean. It's like every time someone's talking about something bad, you think they're talking about you. Every time they're like, they, they say something and you're like, oh, I know they're talking about me. They got to be talking about me. Like, I knew it. I knew it. See, everyone's against me. No one's for me. And you think every time that everyone else is talking bad about you when really they're not talking about you. You take it personal. These are three signs that you may be dealing with pride in your life. Now, listen, if, if one of these resonates with you, it's okay because we can deal with the pride in our lives. But it first of all has to be acknowledged. Maybe I'm struggling with pride. And my pride may even be in my relationship with Christ. Like I'm just prideful of it. So I think everyone else is talking about me. But it's not. Like you and I have to realize that it's not about us. So stop making, taking everything personally. Number two. Look at your neighbor and say number two. Number two. You look at those in authority and you say, I could do it better. You look at those in authority in your life and you say, I could do it better. It's like your boss at work. You're like, I, I could do it so much better than them. What are they thinking? You, you look at spiritual authorities in your life. I could, just, I could do it so much better than them. I, I really could. I, I, I could do it better than them. Some of you, you look at, at President Biden and you're like, I could do it better than President Biden for sure. I could do it better than that. I could do it better than him. And a lot of us have really strong feelings about those in authority. Oh, I could do it better than, you know, Governor Whitmer. I I could do it so much better than her. You might be dealing with pride if you think you can do it better than everyone else. It was funny, first gathering when I said, um, you can do it better than President Biden. A bunch of people were like, I sure could. (laughs) And I was like, Point proven right here <laughs> that we may be dealing with a little bit of pride ourselves, right? Because here's the one thing we don't know is we don't know all the things that they do know. Here's what I know about being in leadership positions. There are things that you know that other people don't know. And if they knew the information that the person in charge actually knew, they would probably actually line up more with your thoughts. Now listen, I know some of you are like, well, you know, President Biden, like, I have very different thoughts. I'm not talking just about that. I'm just saying there may be information that he knows that you don't know. Or maybe circumstances that are going on that you don't know about. There are political parties that try to make the other political party look bad. Because why? We want our guy nominated. We want them in office. 
So we do whatever we can. We don't care if it destroys things around us. Why? Because we're looking down the, down the road. We don't care about now. Because why? Because we've allowed pride to enter our hearts. Pride is ruining our nation right now. And I'm not talking about American pride. I'm not talking about being, you know, I'm proud to be an American where at least I, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about pride that says, I'm proud to be an American where I'll step upon your head. I don't care what happens in your life as long as I go to bed and I'll stare. You know what I'm saying? Like, you just, like, you don't. We don't care about other people around us. It's just about us. Take care of me. And pride is ruining our nation. I'm not saying don't stand up for what's right. We need godly men and women in places of office. We really do. And there are important decisions that are being made. But can I just remind us that the hope is never found in who's in office. It's been found in who Jesus is. He's the answer. He's the hope. Yeah. So look at those in authority you may be dealing with pride if you look at those in authority and say, I could do it better than them. Here, number three, you think your feelings matter the most and others around you should change. I don't even have to really unpack that a whole lot. Just think about the statement. You think your feelings matter the most and others around you should change. The way I like, the way I think, everyone else should adapt to me. My opinion matters the most. You may be dealing with pride if that's the case. Now, we are currently right now experiencing the damage of pride in our world. When you look at um, what's been happening in Ukraine and with Vladimir Putin and all that stuff, I believe it's attached to a prideful spirit. Someone who thinks that they're above recourse and can do kind of whatever they want. And you may say, well, Pastor Brian, you don't know. I don't know all of it, but I do know some of the track record. Here's an interesting story about Vladimir Putin. In 2005... George W. Bush was in office. And during that time, um, the New England Patriots had just won the Super Bowl. They beat the Eagles. And um, Robert Kraft, who's the owner of the New England Patriots, had just gotten his Super Bowl ring. And on it was etched his name. He was so proud of it. He was wearing it, of course, like any of us would. My son was wearing his state championship ring literally today, Josiah, um, that they got from winning the state championship. Because why? Because he's proud of that moment. It's, it signifies an accomplishment. And so the owner was wearing that ring, and he found himself with a good friend of his whose name is Sandy. And Sandy lives in the U, uh, Russia, and they had been together. And somehow they were in front of Vladimir Putin in 2005. And while they were there, Sandy said, you should show Vladimir Putin your ring, to which he did. But a really interesting moment happened. And I quote, this is from his very own words, Mr. Kraft's words. He says, I took out the ring and showed it to Putin. He put it on and he goes, I can kill somebody with this ring. I put my hand out and he put it in his pocket. Three KJB guys came around him and he walked out with my ring. This is back in 2005. Now, Kraft wanted his ring back and he, he talks about it. He says, I wanted my ring back, not just because it was worth like $25,000, but because it had his name etched on it. It was a momentum from a, a really cool moment. He has multiple Super Bowl rings, but still to this day does not have that Super Bowl ring. 
Funny story is, is that the White House got involved because he was really trying to get the ring back and was going to make kind of a stink about it. He reached out to the White House and the White House said this, we really would not like to go to war over a Super Bowl ring. Please give it to him as a gift. Kraft surrendered to the moment because of the pressure from the White House and all those things. And he came out publicly saying in 2005, because of my sincere appreciation for the people of Russia and Vladimir Putin, I gave as a token of appreciation my Super Bowl ring to Vladimir Putin. In 2013, Mr. Kraft came out with the real story talking about what had happened. 2022, what do we see in the life of Vladimir Putin? Someone who's continued to allow pride to rule in his life, so much so that he would go to war with a surrounding country and think that they were going to win in those moments. I was reading an article here recently, and a senior analyst with Russia actually said, the Ukrainian war has caused us to be at war with not just them, but with the world. Do you not think a man like that would continue to allow his pride? And unfortunately, we don't know what will happen. But what we do know is this, as Proverbs 22, 4 says, the reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. So how do we actually live a humble life then? Well, we see the signs and we recognize those. But three ways to live a humble life. These are three things that you could write down. First is this, is think of others first. Your natural response is to think of yourself first, but, but think of others first. Number two, recognize God as your authority and let him make you better. Remember, it's not something you can somehow accomplish, but, but if you'll recognize God as your authority, then you can say, God, I, I'm praying that you'll actually make me better. And then number three, take steps of obedience, letting God's word change you. Remember, we talked about the power of God's word. How do you deal with pride in our lives? Because listen, all of us deal with pride to some degree. All of us. I know I have through the years. There are moments in my life where I've been prideful, where I've been arrogant, where I didn't think of others first, I thought of myself first. Where I didn't recognize the authorities that God had put in my life because I was like, I could do it better than them. I didn't read God's word and allow it to change me because I was like, I got this. I got this. It's okay. I, I've been saved. God's got hold of me. But the truth of it is, is that you and I need to constantly be looking to God's word and saying, God, as I take these steps of obedience, will you allow your word to change me? We constantly look into God and saying, God, you're the authority in my life. Make me better. We're constantly looking to the Lord and saying, God, help me to love others who are around me. The beautiful thing is that what's attached to those moments is, is honor, riches, and long life. If you and I will live a humble life. C.S. Lewis writes in his book, The Miracle. He gives us this great idea and this word picture that I want to share with you today. He says, in the Christian story, God comes down, down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity, down further still into the embryologists that are right to recapitulate the, in the womb the ancient and the pre-human phases of life. 
down to the very roots and seabed of nature he has created. He goes on to write, everywhere the great enters the little, its power to do so is almost the test of its greatness. He goes down to come up again and bring the whole ruined world up with him. And he gives this word picture. One may think of a diver first reducing himself to nakedness, then glancing in midair, then gone with a splash, vanished, rushing down through the green and warm water, into the black and cold water, down through increasing pressure, into the death-like region of ooze and slime and old decay, then up again, back to the color and light, his lungs almost bursting, till suddenly he breaks the surface again, holding in his hand the dripping precious thing that he went down to recover. What an incredible word picture that C.S. Lewis writes in his book, The Miracle. He's encouraging us that what God does is he goes down into the innermost parts and he begins to pull out and to recover the treasures that are hidden. Today, God did that for you and for me, and he's constantly doing that for us even today. He sees the goodness inside of you. He sees the goodness inside of your family, inside of your coworkers, inside of the strangers you meet. He sees the goodness, and like a diver, he deeps down, goes deep, and he begins to pull up the things that need to be recovered. Today, I believe God wants to pull up a humble spirit inside of each and every one of us. First or Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Did you catch that? Humble themselves. Not I've arrived, I've got it. I got Jesus. Yes, I do. I got Jesus. How about you? No, it's like, not pride. It's humble. James 4, 8 says this, He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. And I love this thought, because what God is saying to us in this moment, here in James, he's saying, listen, grace is available for you and for me. And in the midst of even struggling with pride and arrogance ourselves, we can come before the Lord right now, and we can say, God, I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to come before you right now and I'm going to submit myself. And in that submission, I know that the devil will have to flee because I've submitted to you. I've submitted to your authority. Remember, think of others first. Recognize God as your authority and let him make you better. And then take steps of obedience, letting God's word change you. Today, I want to challenge you to a thought. And the thought is simply this is would you humble yourself before the Lord today by simply taking one step? Here's what I know is all of us in the room, all of us can take a step towards Christ. That's the beauty of it. It's the simplicity of the message of taking one step closer is that every one of us, and guess what? The person sitting next to you 
their step may look very different than your step. The steps of other people in this room are very different than each other, but each of us can take a step. And here's what I know is that there is a prideful side that is inside of each and every one of us. And today, we can all take steps towards humility. All take steps towards saying, God, okay, today, God, I'm going to actually take a step towards humility. And the way I'm going to do that is by asking you to actually teach me and grow me today. So here's what I'm going to ask. And I asked the same thing first gathering and people stood up all over the room and I'll stand up once again because I want to take a step in my relationship with God and becoming more humble and becoming more like him and saying no to pride and no to arrogance. I want to be more like him. And so today I'll stand with you. And if today you'd say, you know what? I want to take a step. My step may look different. I'm willing to hear from the Lord and what that step could look like. But today I want to become more like him and I want to be humble because I know that humbleness and the fear of the Lord actually leads to riches and honor and long life. And I want those things in my life. I want riches. I want honor. I want long life. So I know that I need to have the fear of the Lord and I need to be humble in spirit. And so today I'm willing to take that step. And if that's you, would you just stand to your feet? You just say, I'm going to take a step today. And then as you stand to your feet, would you just close your eyes for a moment and then just ask the Lord this. Okay, God, I've stood to my feet. I, I felt like this moment was for me. So God, what is the step that I need to take? I've taken this step, but, but how practically can I take that right now? And maybe for you today, it's just a moment of even surrendering. Maybe you're saying, Jesus, come into my life, forgive me of my sin. Maybe you don't have a personal relationship with him. That's your first step today. And the Holy Spirit's speaking to you right now and saying, let's deal with the sin in your life. Maybe it's someone you've walked away from the Lord. You've been kind of doing things in your own and you've allowed sin to enter back in. You're like, man, I need to deal with that sin. Right now, you would just say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Change my life. I want to live for you. I want to be for you. Like, I, I, I need you in my life, so would you forgive me? And you would just pray that prayer. Just talk to the Lord right now. Maybe that's your step. Maybe others, it's like there's a, a friendship or, or even a relationship where you need to forgive somebody. You need to let go of that because it's, it's been something that you've been harboring. And God's saying, no, just let go of that today. Let go of that. It's whatever it is. The Lord's speaking to you right now. He's just speaking to your heart. He's saying, here's a, here's a step for you today to take. So, Father, I believe that you're speaking to the hearts and lives of every person here. God, people who are watching online right now, you're speaking to their hearts. And I pray right now that you would meet with them right where they are, that they would experience freedom. And, God, I pray that today they would take one step closer in their relationship with you today, God, that they would take simply one step closer. God, I pray these things in the name that is above all names, the name of Jesus. Help us today to take one step closer, one step closer. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.